There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I want to welcome one of the greatest rising stars of contemporary songwriting. Her song Side Effects with the Chainsmokers is currently rising up the charts. You've heard her writing on Duo Lipa's New Rules. She's collaborated with many of the best performers in the music industry, earning her a Grammy and multi-platinum success, and has recently released her own single, Paranoid. It's my pleasure to welcome Emily Warren to the show. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I am so excited to get to talk about your work, and I think it would be appropriate to just get to share with everybody your music before we really dive into things. So Sweet. I want to spin the beginning of Side Effects. Awesome. It's 4 a.m. I don't know where to go. Everywhere is closed. I should just go home, yeah. My feet are taking me to your front door. I know I shouldn't go. Heaven only I don't know if it's the groove or the caffeine, but I feel amazing <laughs> right now. It's good. Such a good check. Mm. So tell us what's going on in the song. What is the song about? It's not about much, to be honest. It's uh, <laughs> which is very different for me. I think I've in the past couple of years made such a thing out of being so thoughtful in the lyrics hmm. that it's created kind of a world of pressure around writing sometimes. And this is one of those days that I was just like, let's just pick like a small topic and just like not go too into the story too into the details um i was working with these guys Corey sanders and sly silverstein in copenhagen at a writing camp and Corey kind of spent the first i mean i was asking him questions about this relationship he's going through and we talked about it for a little but then we just started having fun and sly whipped this track together or close to this track together really quickly and then we just had the best day we were laughing all day (laughs) having fun and the song, I think, is a reflection of how we were feeling. Yeah. And then that night, I woke up in the middle of the night to like 15 missed calls and texts from the Chainsmokers <laughs> being like, what is this song side effects? Corey's A&R had sent it and they were like, we need this. We're putting it out as the next single. We're stopping everything and putting this out and we want you to stay on it. And I was like, it's like actually four in the morning. And I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't fall asleep again. Yeah. But it's yeah, overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And like that never ever happens in terms of turnaround like it was that day having it be they're putting it out it's like literally record-breaking time usually takes like a year yeah (laughs) nice yeah one of my favorite things about what's going on in the song for me is the indecision in relationship yeah Mm. we're gonna do it we're not gonna do it (laughs) and i think that you established that really beautifully in the first verse yeah i want to play that again yeah of course it's for him i don't know Just go home, yeah. 
late night booty call. Yeah. Not sure if it's a good idea. Yeah. That's what's going on. Right? Yeah, exactly. But kind of like feeling like, is this the mm-hmm. right thing? Yeah. And I think that you do such an amazing job of then sort of switching to this sort of internal narrative in the pre-chorus where <laughs> there's like a moment of almost hesitation. Mm-hmm. I love this moment. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I love this moment. Thank you. Um, that you playing footsie with me? No, I'm just getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think I know where this is going. There's so much happening here. Yeah. Like, it's such a perfect little moment, and it contains multitudes. Yeah. So first of all, we get the song's title. Yeah. We get the side effects, and I think it's just a beautiful metaphor. Do you recall how this metaphor came to you? That was uh, Corey's idea, actually. After we had spoken for a long time, he he was like, I just really want to write a song called Side Effects. And we were like, okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's fun putting the title not... I mean, a lot of times you feel like you have to make the title the big wow moment Mm. at the end of the chorus or beginning of the chorus. And I think this is the only time Side Effects comes by in the song. And that was cool, I think, because it puts a little more weight on that lyric, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the crux of the meaning of the song but yeah then the chorus is just kind of like fun from there yeah totally and in this moment everything kind of breaks down you have these sort of dark pads and Mm -hmm. simple piano all the bass and all the energy and excitement has dropped out and i I think for me i really sort of get that that sense of that internal hesitation yeah but also perhaps like realization of oh i I know what's gonna happen here and then you get that nice sort of like edm riser moment and boom and you land in the chorus and you get all that energy back but there's something even more about this which i just absolutely love and a number of listeners actually on twitter had pointed this out i think even before we knew you were going to be coming on the show a lot of people were saying oh you have got to talk to emily warren (laughs) there is something amazing happening on this track Nate, do you know what I'm talking about? You mean because we move from the minor chord to the parallel major. Yeah. And it's very surprising. It's very, very exciting. Surprising. And that's why I played footsie with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a really cool moment where yeah. all of a sudden there's been they talk about like hesitation back and forth, and the song sort of feels clearly in C minor because the bass riff is sort of like the simple pentatonic thing. Right. Though I also really like the in the bass, there's this like jumping between octaves constantly mm. and sort of mm-hmm. also that same uncertainty of which direction might it go. But that openness of the bass harmony gives you space to all of a sudden throw in the major third. Right. And you sing what I believe Nate, Nate and I took a bunch of classical music classes yeah, you got back this. in you got this. <laughs> college. Yeah. It's the Pickerty third. Very good. What wow. The Pickerty third? Ah, great. (laughs) Enlighten me. (laughs) Nate. You got our sound cue? So we have a little section that we call Classical Masters, where we like to go into the past and look at how uh, things from the past draw all the way into the present. So, Nate, what is this thing, the Picardy Third? It's, I mean, it does describe exactly what's happening in this this pre-chorus, which is great. And it's rare to hear because it's this technique that dates back to the Renaissance. It was very common, you know, during the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s. And then has kind of like fallen away. Mm -hmm. And it's a very simple thing. It's like, you're a composer, you're Bach, say, you're Johann Sebastian, and you're like, you know, writing this minor key fugue or prelude or chorale or something. And it's all in minor and it's very dark and, and heavy. And then you get to the final chord 
And instead of ending in that minor key that you started with, what the tradition tells you to do is to not end on that sad note, but just make one little change and take the third of that final minor chord and just bump it up a semitone mm -hmm. to make it a major triad. So it's this at once like, I guess it's supposed to be the happy ending that you right. crave. It feels so Protestant having grown up in New England. It's like, everything might be bad, but actually, no, it's like, everything's fine. Don't worry about well, it. It's, <laughs> End wow. with a bow. Wow, that's really... <laughs> we will have to get into that at a later point. Both in the pre-chorus of Side Effects and in, say, the F-sharp minor prelude of <laughs> Bach's Well-Tempered Clavier, you do have the sense like, whoa, it's like this jarring shift. And yeah. it's supposed to make you feel positive but maybe there's also something that leaves you like a little unsettled too about mm -hmm. it do you want to play the Bach yeah let's hear it so it's all F sharp minor here F sharp minor F sharp major That's at the amazing. end, and every and like for the majority of of Bach's career, every time he gets to the end of the song, it just goes to the major, and it's so weird in a way. It's like it doesn't give you that minor resolution you expect, right? And again, I think there's something like at once, like, oh, I feel, well, that's good. I feel happy. Now I got a major chord. Mm -hmm. But then at the other hand, you're like, what am I missing here? There's something more to the story. And I think that brings us back to side effects. you ever know that you had so much in common with Johann Sebastian? <laughs> no, truly I didn't. And honestly, I'm now thinking about how meta this is, which is I've done the previous Chainsmokers songs that have come out this year with them, which yeah. are all very like introspective yeah. and emo, which is like kind of what we were going for <laughs> yeah. just because that's what they were experiencing. And I think Drew from the Chainsmokers and I had a talk like right before I wrote Side Effects and we were just saying, you know, it's great to kind of indulge in this sadness, but I think also it's summertime. Mm. And in general, like in the history of music, it's not always the best to, how do I explain this? Uh, let me back up for one yeah, second. Yeah. Sure. There's, I went to the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam two years ago and it really struck me. But one thing in particular really struck me was this painting of his room. It's a famous painting, like really bright colors, twin bed. And the plaque next to it said that this was when he checked himself into a mental institution and it was like the brightest he'd ever painted. Mm -hmm. And the reason behind that was that he wanted to paint what would make him feel better, not how he felt. Mm. And I always try and think about that with songwriting just because I'm inclined to write the sad, slow jam always. <laughs> but I don't think, I think when you're sad, you don't necessarily, I mean, you do want to hear sad music for a second, but then you kind of want to hear yeah. something that makes you feel better. And I think... <laughs> in a meta connection between that one little moment and I yeah. think this song and, and the line of songs that have been coming out with the Chainsmokers, it's exactly that. It's like, it's not quite like a happy, happy song. It's still kind of got darkness in it, but it is the like little light at the end of the, <laughs> that little thing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I'm going to think of that Van Gogh painting every time I hear this song. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, certainly when you're listening to the radio, you want something that has a little bit of light and a little bit of dark yeah. to, to grab you. Otherwise, yeah. it just I think it tends you tend to just turn the dial, you know? It's like yeah. a little too much brightness, a little too much darkness. 
right. it's something I really enjoy about your writing. I think you do a good job at sort of being in some sort of in-between emotion. Thank you very much. That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> it puts you in this sort of like, you're sort of like levitating in some sort of stasis of like, I'm not sure if it's going to go good or bad. And it makes you want to find out. It keeps you sticking around. Right. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I think in this song, one of, the, one of my favorite things that you do is moving from this, you know, in the opening it could be darker, especially when you hear the pre-chorus and everything drops out and it could have gone in a much darker place and all of a sudden right. we get these really fun house piano chords and it's extremely upbeat and fun. And what I like that you do next is that the song kind of breathes. It expands. Mm-hmm. You all of a sudden add a bunch of sections that you didn't anticipate at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Doing some somewhat untraditional ways of surprising us with pop form. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I caught was you add a post-chorus. Yeah. Right? Right. <laughs> Usually a chorus is the same thing repeated with, you know, some small variation, but you actually extend the chorus and add a post-chorus mm-hmm. the next time that we hear it. So the chorus is now twice as long. It shifts the energy and creates an even higher point in the in the track. I mm-hmm. love that. Amazing. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You then keep building things out by throwing in this pretty interesting bridge, which is a sung talk bridge. Yeah. And you're singing this as a duet or talk singing it as a duet, (laughs) right? Yeah. There's so much I like here. Yeah. (laughs) We're we're like bridge junkies. Yeah, we we love a good bridge. It's and rare. This, it's I know, I know. I know. I know. I actually we recently posted to Twitter about what do you feel like is missing in pop songwriting. We've got a lot of really intelligent, great musical ears on our Twitter <laughs> following people, and like I think pretty much everybody was like, "I need a middle eight. Give me a bridge. Yeah. Where are those bridges at? Yeah, where's that confounded bridge? Yeah. I mean, I feel it a lot too. You're in a session for like eight hours. And you've done everything and you recorded the vocals and someone's like, we need a bridge. And you're like, nah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving. Oh, okay. This this, is, that's very revealing. Yeah. I, someone was telling me recently that they were working with uh, a writer who started with the bridge. So it was like, what? Fret. they started with the bridge because then you knew you it had it. It better. It was fresh. <laughs> but the thing is like, it isn't, it actually isn't worth it to just do a bridge that sucks because mm. there's a yeah. lot, of, I mean, you yeah, can yeah. tell that it's hour eight and people were like, let's yeah. just do a bridge and like <laughs> repeat some line from the pre-chorus. But yeah, it's good to have a good bridge. I, I feel like this song really earns it. Our title, Side Effects, wearing, all right, my, but to my loneliness is you. We get for just a moment at the beginning, which is cueing us to think like, oh, this could go dark. Right. And by the time we're on the bridge, we are in a totally different terrain. Yeah. And so, you know, you've, you've let things open up by giving us a post-chorus. And now you've given us this bridge and you take us back into the chorus. Uh, you get have a little, a little down chorus, which is great, which is mm-hmm. really smart because you've doubled the chorus. Now you have the opportunity to bring something down right. and build it back up. And then you end with a bridge. <laughs> What's wrong with you? What were you thinking? No one does this. This is extraordinary. We were all like, we need that part again. Yeah. You got to put that in When there When is it? I mean, you basically have... What's amazing about your bridge is it's basically a second hook. Right. Right? Like, you've, you've just done, like, hook on hook on hook on hook. You gave me an extra hook with the post-chorus. You give me another hook with the bridge. And you're like, screw it. That's the new hook. We've, like, yeah. sh- we've shifted everything into the bridge now. What's funny, actually, about this session is... I have voice notes from it actually because I recently had Corey send them to me but like it was not 
written in order. Like normally you start yeah. with the hook or I like to start with the hook because then you know kind of where everything's going. But it was literally like when Sly started playing these chords, every melody sounded good on them. <laughs> so we were just like, what is what section? <laughs> um, and I think the chorus actually was probably the last piece that came together. So, I mean, we were like, let's just make every section really hooky. But I mean, that takes like the right track and the right vibe in the room and the right energy to be able to do that so it's a testament to everyone in the room hmm. but I, th I think you know you said at the beginning that this song isn't about a whole lot right yeah. it's, it's a very relatable experience yeah but it's not um it doesn't seem like it's highly particular to any one right. individual experience that said i think what you've done so well is in answering the question of like how do I feel about this late night thing? The song tells you how it feels right. by going from this very sort of yeah introspective spot to this super bridge at the end where there's just sort of no questioning that everyone's having a really good time. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I think, you know, I, it's, it's one of these things where you have a simple, relatable, and it's sort of even common message. This is just another yeah. silly little love song. Right. And yet the form of the track perfectly melds with what you're trying to say even mm -hmm. if it's this very simple little nugget yeah thank Love you it. it's brilliant <laughs> thanks what's on your mind <laughs> you're like introspective no I, yeah i'm just i'm just thinking a lot of thoughts over here um i guess you're saying that the craft of the song can be as important as the you know the meaning of or the message of of the song lyrically as in, like, the lyrics are saying one thing, but the whole construction of the song, the whole tapestry is, is saying something else to you as a listener. Like a Baroque tapestry. <laughs> I mean, I'm or just... Renaissance. I'm just We're thinking, back. <laughs> I'm just... Oh, yeah, well, we can go back and back. Um, I'm just thinking about how you said, you know, this song just started with a title and then sort of emerged from there. And I just love that because I, I was reading about this song, Firestone, recently by Kaigo. Oh, yeah. And I was like, and it's so powerful in this like image of like these firestones, these like mythic burning symbols for eternity. And I was like, firestone, where did that come from? And then I was reading about it and the songwriter who was like probably Swedish or something was driving in LA and saw a billboard for firestone tires. <coughs> and then that became this like epic, you know, mythic love song. Yeah. So it's just, I just think there's, it's so fascinating how you take one thing and then through the process itself is what, turns it into art you know yeah hmm. and i think i'm always learning that there's no correct way to write a song i think i like i'll now say that this is how you should write a song <laughs> until the next one and it's like there's really no there's no way inspiration comes from all different places and in all different forms and there's all different ways to cultivate it and dig through it so yeah i think one of the things you've just done really well here is you've really served the song like you have this one idea and then you just go deeper and deeper and making sure that that idea is sort of comes to life yeah. in whatever form it needs to take. Sweet, um, thank you. I want to talk a lot more about your music in the second half because you have an exceptional track, oh, Paranoid. And I want to talk a little bit more about uh, your songwriting process as well. We've got some listener questions that we want to bring oh, to you too. Sweet. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. So Emily, you've just released a track of your own called Paranoid, and it's fantastic. Oh, I think thank you. I think like side effects, it has this quality of being suspended between two emotions. Mm-hmm. You're always scared I'm gonna leave. You're always scared that I'll stop packing up my bags while you're asleep and never come back. And never come back. And you're afraid you'll miss the signs. You try to pick up all the clues and things that build up over time, but it's not like that. It just isn't like that. You tell us the story inside of the song. Yeah, I think this is something that was kind of permeating my whole relationship and I think I was just kept hearing when talking to other people about it that it's very common thing of especially I was doing long distance and Mm -hmm. how there's just always so much uncertainty about what's actually going on and Mm -hmm. how much you can convince yourself with just one little thought and go down the whole rabbit hole of inventing a whole story Mm. so I wanted to kind of put that all to bed in a song and yeah, everything is is really real and really honest in this one. Hmm. You come into this song almost like uh, a coach. You're like coaching your partner. It's like, don't worry. It's yeah. chill. I like that there's so many characters here. There's you, there's your partner, and then there's the voice in their head. Yeah. And so there's the third wheel here that's that extra voice, which is just like the sabotaging voice. Yeah. And you're like, chill out. That voice is bad. Don't listen to it. Yeah, that's a real, That's a cool message. Oh, thank you. And when you're sort of doing that coaching, something really bizarre happens to your voice. <laughs> boys, don't listen to that voice, darling. There's no need to be paranoid. Don't listen, it's just noise, darling. Don't be paranoid. Yeah, What's going on? <laughs> What's happened to your voice? <laughs> um, well, I love the vocoder. That's yes. There's vocoder involved. But I think we'd written this melody and it was just really kind of simple and... Mm-hmm. I wanted to sing it quietly like Mm -hmm. that. And when we put it on the track, I was like, wait, wait, let's pull all the instruments out. And then Mm -hmm. we just thought of, there's a bunch Mm -hmm. of songs I was listening to at the time that used vocoder in the chorus and that I was really inspired by. And yeah, I just think sometimes it's good to pull everything out and do that just to really focus on what's being said. And I think that melody and lyric is a little bit confusing just because it doesn't repeat exactly Mm. after every line is finished. It's kind of cut off. Mm. So yeah, it just stylistically, I think we just wanted to try vocoder and it, it worked. Yeah. 
for me, this was another moment where I feel like the song earned its production technique, right? The, the vocoder is incredibly popular, especially in a lot of EDM tracks. Yeah. Like, you know, Zed uses it a lot. Right. And I think you get a sort of similar breakdown on, on the middle. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But here you're talking about like, don't listen to that voice. And I feel like exactly, the vocoder yeah. is like mm. the other voice. It's kind cool. of like, it's all of the dark, all that sabotaging voice happening. Yeah. And what I love is as the chorus progresses, the vocoder fades and your voice cuts through the mix. Yeah. To suggest that your coaching is working. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I mean, I know that these are probably choices that are just like, I oh, bet that sounds good. <laughs> exactly. But I think the song, like it, it just, it also on whatever subtle level, it is reinforcing that message really beautifully. Oh, amazing. I also, I had this other, you know, completely absurd realization that you have these cycling chords, you have this message of, you know, don't listen to that other voice and everything's going to be okay. Mm. And I feel like there's a musical moment that also reinforces that, like, no, everything is okay. And it's, I actually can hear it right in the very beginning. So you have this sequenced little synth line, mm-hmm. and it stays on the home note the entire yeah. time as the chords recycle behind it and i think that musically that has that same sort of quality of like there is a solidity even mm-hmm. as things are changing mm-hmm. i really wow. like i really like how that reinforces that oh. message <laughs> okay wait, wait, wait you're saying the synth line the line that's going like is staying the same on f well underneath the bass is moving yeah okay so you be the synth line okay you're a little off charlie but I didn't know. I didn't get your note. <laughs> okay, that's cool. So wait. So what does that represent I for think, you? I think that that is the um, like that the that comfort. is your voice. That like. What, oh, what, what, I see. What did I say? You can probably like say it. The <laughs> comfort that that's like. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the comfort. That's of security. great. Did not think of that. Love that. I think there's a lot of fun production stuff that's happening on this song because you're using all sorts of techniques from what feel like almost heavier dance music mm-hmm. you've got big subby 808s there are these synth noise risers that are happening but the song does feel very intimate mm-hmm. what were you thinking about in sort of pairing those two things together how did you arrive at that sound um that's a good question i think it was a lot of just kind of what came out of the room that day sounded very close to what this sounds like now mm. There was a few versions that the producer, Nick Ruth, had done where he was like, it has to drop after the chorus. We have to go to a drop. And I was like, I think it's actually sick if you think it's going to and it doesn't. And it just goes into the second verse. There's There's a Nick Jonas song that's just on his album called Touch that does a similar thing that I always thought was so sick and such an underrated song because... You, I think having that feeling like it's gonna drop and then just hitting the second verse is really mm. effective and interesting. Like the song doesn't really ever explode except the last chorus is kind of like I'm singing full voice. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a cool tension in that. And I think I obviously love EDM in its own way, yeah. but I don't think it's my style necessarily. So I think kind of combining that feeling the tension and the rising and stuff like that but not fully going there and leaving it like soft singing and things like that is kind of a melding of the worlds yeah so so many edm drops have a sort of disembodied voice where the voice becomes subservient to whatever the synth line is and the the bass and the kick i don't think that would 
work well for what you're doing here because it has you have such a a wonderful affect that does feel very personal it would have been very strange to have yeah. ripped that apart and all of a sudden right bye emily yeah <laughs> see you later that wouldn't be right yep I do love that that idea of sort of hinting with using all of the instrumentation and production techniques of like, this could be a really big dance song. Yeah. Again, we should probably call <laughs> David Guetta and need. do a little remix. <laughs> you throw it up a few BPM. It, it, it would be a fun remix, but I, yeah. I think I think this was really effective. Oh, thank you. I wanted, I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of your craft. Mm-hmm. Later today, I, I hear you're doing a double songwriting session. <laughs> so you, it, it sounds like you are constantly busy. Yeah. And um, I had a few questions that I wanted to ask you about how, how you go work as a songwriter. And uh, we also have some, some listener questions that I want to share as well. Amazing. So I, I just wanted to ask, first of all, what goes into preparation for you as, as you go into a session? Um, it de- kind of depends where I'm at. I think my favorite thing, at least recently, is to just go in the room without any preparation, really. I mean, mm-hmm. beyond just having listened to music and maybe playing a few songs at the beginning of the session. But in terms of lyrical content, I've found, especially working with artists and with writers, that it's best to just get in the room and have a conversation, even if that's a four or five hour conversation mm-hmm. and just... Mm-hmm generally in that time something is said that's like mm-hmm. worth yeah. developing and every t- i mean i used to go into the room with like a list of like glow in the dark and then you have to try and make stuff <laughs> make sense with that and that's really hard <laughs> um but yeah it's it's i think the outcome is a lot more personal and therefore potentially relatable if it's just about a real thing that's happening mm. but yeah that's pretty much it i mean i think when i'm writing for myself i do like to take some time and kind of think about since i'm not there to ask myself those questions in the room Mm. to kind of just think about what i'm feeling and if there's any lines from books or the world or anything that are inspiring me Mm. i mean it's something so cool to me about listening to these two songs back to back is and and you know having you in the room with us is that you realize that even though the end product in both of them is like a really moving powerful personal song the genesis of each of them was so different and with side effects yeah just kind of emerging sort of spontaneously out of the ether yeah and paranoid at being a you know a more personal and you know based in your own experience and yet at the end you know the the result is still two tracks that you wouldn't know i think listening to them oh this one is you know personal and this one is improvised right mm. which i guess is all to say that you know as music journalists or critics or whatever like we can make assumptions about what went into a song but we don't really know how it came about mm. right anyway often, sorry oftentimes, please continue oftentimes we just don't care <laughs> we just please go, continue. here's what it means to me which is also one of the most I beautiful mean, parts about it exactly that's kind of why i like keeping things personal and honest because then people do make their own interpretations yeah. if it's like a truth nugget <laughs> <laughs> So when so when you're in the room and a truth nugget comes out, or do you have like a, a notebook in front of you, or like that's the line? Yeah. Oh well, yeah. I usually have my computer and I'm just taking notes while people are talking. Yeah. But do you usually go for the five piece truth nugget or the or the ten piece? <laughs> <laughs> ten piece truth nugget. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Spilling. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Let's I, I apologize. Ask another question and let's pretend this never happened. He has a, he has a PhD in musicology. <laughs> Not anymore. So you've heard the term it's truth just, nugget. It's just been rescinded. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's called the university. Um, how do you know when you hear it? I think you just know. I think I really love, especially with artists, really pushing them 
and asking crazy questions and yeah. making them say things they're not saying. I think I found maybe three or four years ago, I did that in a session kind of just by accident because I was working with these twin girls and I'm a twin. So I just was uh, like, I couldn't stop asking questions about what it was. I'm a boy girl twins and they're girl girl twins. And I was fascinated. <laughs> and the songs we were writing were like nuts. I mean, I saw these two girls being like, well, you make me feel like this and I'm jealous about this. And it was like, Whoa. I was just like, wait a second. <laughs> this is how I have to write songs. And it's, it's become, I'm so interested, yeah. especially I think artists have these crazy lives and there's so much putting a face on and putting a front on and mm -hmm. when you really are like what's going on with you nine times out of ten they're like oh no one ever asked me that <laughs> you know and then they're just ready to talk yeah. so you're kind of the same therapeutic coach <laughs> in paranoid as you are in the songwriting Definitely. sessions huh. i mean a lot of times people are like do i need to pay you for therapy <laughs> 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 but i mean i love it i just love talking to people and hearing about that it's I always feel like, I mean, and I travel a lot to write. It's like meeting someone in a bar and asking them a million questions. Yeah. So it's just, it's fun for me. And I think when someone says something that resonates with you, that's when you're like, all right, I have a completely different life from you. And we've both felt this, like this is something we need to write about. Hmm. So, yeah. I want to go to some questions that uh, a bunch of listeners on Twitter and Instagram. So we posted at Switched On Pop and we said, you know, you're coming on in. And so people had some questions. Sick. Some of these, if you're like, nah, we can skip over that. That's fine. So this is from Top 40 Theory. First of all, that's amazing. <laughs> EW is awesome. Has a bunch of questions for you. So what's your take on the balance between making something new that will stand out and making the song fit into a genre? Does one come before the other in the process? Do you even think about it? I don't really think about it. I think thinking about it is where you get yourself into trouble just <laughs> because you can't. You can't anticipate and you can't recreate something. And I think that when you go into some sessions and the A&R comes in and was like, this was happening to me after I wrote Don't Let Me Down, was every session I went in, I'd write a song and they'd be like, ah, can you write something more like Don't Let Me Down? And I was like, no, yeah. that's already happened. You don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think I'm always conflicted too about listening to kind of what's coming out or not because I think it's sort of good to know what's going on if you like it, but it's also things change so quickly. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're changed because people are intentionally like, this is the sound now. It's just kind of like what you're inspired by and what you make. So yeah, mm. I do think though, like, and part of the reason we were, I was telling you before we started about my feelings about LA, but part of the reason it's, I find it hard here is there's a lot of, just because the culture, there's so much chasing of sounds. There's so much like, mm. well, Post Malone's doing this. So we need to make something like this, 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 mm. and this. And it's like, so confining when you're trying to just be creative mm. so yeah i think if you think it's cool it's probably going to be cool if mm. other if someone else is telling you what's cool like it can get confusing mm. Mm. side effects i think is a great example right stands <laughs> out both in the chain smokers catalog as sounding really different than their other singles mm -hmm. and brings a sort of sound that i'm not hearing a lot on the charts yeah. all these sort of great house throwbacks and Really fun. So I, Thank I, I you. get that. <laughs> Top 40 Theory also wants to know, do you ever think about Max Martin's melodic math? Yeah, I mean, I signed to Dr. Luke when I first moved out here. And a lot of, at that time in particular, this is like six years ago, mm -hmm. I think five or six years ago. That was like really, it was coming off the heels of like TikTok and Teenage Dream right. and all those kind mm -hmm. of songs that were very, like you would never hear 
a rhythm in the second verse that wasn't in the first verse. Right. Like even yeah. if the lyric, I mean, I used to get melodies from Luke where I'd have to write lyrics to it and my A&R would be like, just try and fit the words into the melody. <laughs> wow. And it's a good exercise, but I think, and I don't know, I haven't been paying close enough attention to what Max is doing now to know if no. that's still as strict as it once was, but I think music has shifted from that and i think back at that time concept and melody were king and melody still is important but mm -hmm. lyrics are really important now and mm -hmm. story is really important mm -hmm. and i think to sacrifice what you're trying to say in order to get the math right for mm -hmm. me at least is slightly backwards but obviously it works yeah. for max and yeah. his people could, could you break down your sense of what melodic math means yeah so there's a couple of things that are actually are, I shouldn't say that I don't think about it because there are a few things that I do think about mm. that I learned when I first started writing, which is like the verse should be lower than the pre yeah. and mm. the chorus should be the highest. Or if the chorus isn't going to be the highest, it needs to be like somewhere totally different. I right. think just differentiating the sections is the most important thing. And I think we all kind of think about, um, you hear this in the room all the time, like if the verse is starting on the one beat, mm -hmm. then the pre shouldn't also start on the one and the chorus yep. shouldn't start right. on the one. Like some should come before, some after. And that's just because like, if sections are too similar, it just gets boring. Yeah. So that's one people used to talk about. I can't even remember now if it's the third or the fifth, but that the chorus should start on the third or the fifth. <laughs> I think it's the fifth. Maybe it's the third. <laughs> Don't know. But yeah, those are the kinds of things. And then also just like keeping, if you do one rhythm and melody in the first verse, then keep it the same in the second verse. Although now you'll hear second verses that are like completely have nothing to do with right. the first verse. And that's really interesting, exciting. So I think I think a lot of interesting things have grown out of that era just because it's it, that kind of got tiring. And now it's like, what can we do to make things different now? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Dan Berg asks, do you use any music theory knowledge and techniques when writing? Do you have any examples of them or does it just come from gut instinct when you're in the room? Um, it's funny because we were saying earlier, I went to the Berkeley five-week thing uh, yeah. when I was in high school, I think. Yeah. And I kind of struggled there just because I played a song for a theory teacher and he was like, do you mean that chord? And I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I, I also had a guitar teacher for a while that was so theory driven yeah. that she would say the same type of shit to me. And I was just like, I'm so happy. I know some theory and kind of have it on the back burner, but mm. I don't know if it's right to lead with theory. Mm. It's another yeah. one of those things. It's just like, confining kind of if you go into the room with like a box then it's just harder to be creative but when you get stuck yeah and you don't know where the chorus should go yeah. that's when theory is really helpful just even knowing kind of like where you can go with the chords or that kind of stuff like that that is really helpful yeah. so as kind of a toolbox and not the driving force i think right. theory is good but right but i i honestly i it's hard to say if i'm using it that much i don't know if it's just in the back of my mind yeah. but i definitely am not like whipping out theory in sessions <laughs> that's so funny i mean it feels like it makes me think of my jewish mother like you know asking a question that's really a statement like did you mean to use that chord she'd be like did you mean to wear that shirt today <laughs> yep i'd be like you're like say no more <laughs> i see what you're getting at finally wanted to uh, ask from daryl melton are you related to one of the greatest songwriters of all time, Diane Warren? <laughs> I knew that was coming. No, I'm not. <laughs> he also asked, you get asked that all the time. I do indeed. <laughs> Warren's my middle name, so. Right on. So, 
no relation there, but I like the comparison. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, it's a good one, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> we had asked you also uh, to bring in a couple of songs that you're re- really enjoying right now, and wanted to see if you wanted to share any any tracks that you're just loving. And- yeah, I love "You and Jennifer" by Bulo. Have you heard that? I haven't heard yeah. this. No. Space gigs and a Big Mac. I'm a space case, but I'm sure that all my friends fake because they told me that she wasn't real. It was all in my head. I imagine that false sparks at the internet's in and outside of a Walmart. Now I'm sitting here wondering when did this all start? Fuck you and Jennifer. I know that you're out with her. Go pretend that you're just friends. I'll pretend that I'm not hurt. I know all the shit I heard. You can take these bitter words. Fuck you and Jennifer. Go fucking make up to her. I, have you listened to Tayana Taylor's album? No. Yes. Oh, yes. okay. What's what's going on here? So it's good. She, uh, Kanye produced it. She's the girl who's in the Fade video. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who's dancing, which is so insane because I remember yeah. seeing that video and being like, who is she? Yeah. <laughs> and now she has an album out also. Yeah. Sometimes we say things that we really don't mean. We do things in between the lines. We should do more to stand out. I'm sorry if I made you What speaks to you about it? It's so good. I mean, the use of samples in it is amazing. The lyrics are amazing. It reminds me sort of of SZA in the sense that it's like, sometimes you don't know where the chorus is or what the chorus is and the Mm. melodies are all over the place and Mm. it takes a couple listens and then by the second or third listen of the whole album, you're like, this is the best thing. I can't stop listening Mm. to it. Yeah, um, I had the same feeling like when I first listened to the FK Twigs album. Yeah. Being like, wait, where am I? What's happening? Yeah. And then you hear it two or three times. You're like, it's indelible. It's like, this has right. always existed. It's the best. Right. Which yeah. is really cool. I mean, pop music right now is like you're supposed to get the song on the first listen. So to, for there mm-hmm. to be music coming out now that's like takes patience and people are giving it patience yeah. is a really good indication of where we're at or where we're headed mm-hmm. at yeah. least. Yeah, yeah. We did a whole piece about Bjork's latest album, Utopia, which is a really exceptional album. And one of those things where you can't be doing something else. Like right. It really demands right. your attention. And I think it, and it also grabs your attention. Right. I love pieces that do that. Yeah. Uh, and they, they do exist in maybe like a slightly different place. But the way people are listening now is so varied yeah. and not as dominated by a single distribution space. Right. So there's room for that kind of stuff. Right. Which is amazing. Yeah. I'm really uh, excited to go find Nick Jonas touch after this and check <laughs> that out it's quite a song yeah i had a phase with that song surprise right? chorus yeah i didn't want to listen to anything else yeah I'm, it's so sick I'm, it's like acoustic yeah. guitar and great amazing i You're love, love nick it. jonas deep cuts gotta love the nick jonas deep cuts yeah. i was in a writing camp actually with a, the, one of the writers on it and i was like reference i didn't know when oh, i was funny. referencing the song he was like oh i did that and i was like no <laughs> <laughs> and then i was starstruck <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's been really fun to have you on the show. Oh, it's been fun uh, being here. Thank I, you. I hope that whatever me. happens in your next two sessions today <laughs> are the yeah. next two number one hits on the charts. <laughs> or whatever you want them to be. Yeah, there you go. Well, hopefully we'll break them down with you <laughs> yeah. some later date. Hell yeah. Just before we go, is there anything that you want to shout out in terms of anything you're promoting? Oh, yes. I have an album coming out on October 5th. Nice. <laughs> Sick. So I'm very excited about that and scared. Yeah, it's um, called... It's called Quiet Your Mind. Cool. Ah, ooh. Um, there's, the, there's the therapist yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, which is don't, really don't a reminder think. to myself. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Um, and yeah, and then I'm doing a couple of shows surrounding it that we're announcing next week. So 
Ooh. Keep your eyes peeled. Stay tuned. Hopefully one in LA. I hope so. Uh, not saying anything. <laughs> don't don't say anything. What, whatever happens, we'll make sure to shout it out. Um, Amazing. Yeah, all over the place. Thank you very much. Thanks, Emily. Of course. Switch on Pop was produced by me, Charlie Harding. And me, Nate Sloan. Our mixing, engineering, and all sorts of good special effects and all the good stuff is done by Bill Lance. Our community manager is Sarah Terry, and our design is Luke Harris. You can find more episodes at switchedonpop.com or using any podcast player you prefer. If you're on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you leave us a review. And if you're on social media, definitely hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at switchedonpop. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.